Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Hooters, your host on this continued exploration of faith during this time of crisis. And I'm joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you, sir? Good day, good day to you, Lindsay, through the grace of God, doing well. <clears throat> Just been a bit rushed because we had in the institution service of um, Cannondale, Maine in the Strand. So she's now been instituted there and starts a ministry there from as from tomorrow. Um, but otherwise, it was a good service and uh, I'm in a good space and so is my family, I hope. Um, and um, with all the challenges we are facing as people, um, on all kinds of levels, we are thankful for God's daily grace and mercy for us. Awesome. And you and yours, your um, plan? Yeah, we did quite well. The, the Springboks, as I was saying just now, the Springboks almost ended my life prematurely this morning. Um, we are obviously recording this on the Saturday evening. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in good spirits. Uh, Kids are on holiday, and we are now on level one, adjusted alert level one. What does that entail in terms of church access? Can you give us any updates? In the conversation that pursued out of that was caution, caution, caution. And the understanding was, is this, part of electioneering. Another thought was um, put on that uh, the ANC would be well favoured if the government does this. So that was the second part. Thirdly, caution to rushing back to any activities and even fuller churches. The pattern has been, though, that we were previously on level one and there was no rush to do things again Mm. as normal. So I I think the word caution is the big thing. And I think also that we mustn't be bamboozled if this was all part of electioneering. Those are the the things I heard in the conversation um, pursuing out of the announcement made by Uncle Cyril in a, apparently a very colorful shirt, I'm told. Yes, a paisley uh, shirt, a white paisley shirt. So, um, you know, I mean, um, I was just thinking uh, coming through here, um, I got a message about something that I had written, but in the printing form now proposed that my my name must be taken away from it because there's another principle established as to how that thing should be presented because I was included on another level in whatever I was asking for. Okay. So I had to make a shift in my mind and say to myself, you know, how open am I to newer principles in things that perhaps would have taken my glory stand, if I would put it like that, because it's for the betterment of the whole and not just of the individual. 
And that made me even think further to say, well, if, if my name's going to be withdrawn as proposer, then I should also be withdrawn as the seconder because my name was placed as seconder. Mm. And then another seconder should be gotten because I think for the for the betterment of everybody, this mustn't be about the individual. It was not short-sighted on my behalf. It was just that that was something I wanted to place on the agenda. And now, um, and others probably would not even have thought about it. Nobody else had brought that to the fore. But the principle itself is how, how uh, you know, in where we um, where we really are dependent on the proper information that the president has given. <coughs> Should we be saying? Level one is therefore now for the benefit of the ANC and not for the benefit of the whole country. Mm. Um, you know, does the, does the focus still fall on, you know, uh, I did it my way and therefore it must stay my way. So I'm glad that I was, I juxtaposed those two because I just thought how I needed to make a shift in myself and maybe even a further shift to understand this is not about me, this is about the whole. So, um, so again, you know, with every bit of information, Linz, isn't it? You've got to be discerning, you've got to dig deeper, you've got to ask prop, you've got to ask challenging questions, you've got to critique. You can't just assume that what is just given there is fine. Mm. Uh, there's got to be deeper exploration. And I mean, all the time you do that, there's deeper exploration in your own soul, in your own mind, in your own you know, sense of self in response to whatever is being presented. So I think that um, I was thinking about, so what do I say tomorrow to the church yeah. when we gather? Yeah. You know, because though there are there is an openness here, an openness there, I've got to be very mindful of how I then interpret this to the congregation, but I also respect the congregants because they have made their minds up as well as to how they will respond to that. And I trust our congregants to make the proper choice. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, according to the official restrictions though, I think the church can do 50% of its capacity. Um, I don't know how that is going to be interpreted. Uh, but yeah, I I is hope that everybody still, with, still is, is that's still with protocols in place. Uh, yes, so it is now. What's it? Is it five hundred or seven fifty? It's five hundred people. But if the venue cannot accommodate that, then it's fifty percent. So it's, yeah, it's a it's a it weird mix. Change, it doesn't actually change what you've done on level two. Um, because if you still have to practice 1.5 meters, if you still have to practice that, then inevitably yeah. it's not even going to be half of your, your capacity. Because remember, when you fill up your church to capacity, um, it may be 500. But if we were to put in place social distance, our 250 would not be 250. Yeah. If that is 50% of the capacity. Our 250 will probably still remain 100 to 133, 132 uh, seats if we are wanting to be safe. 
Mm. And if that if that is what if the, if that if that is reduces the fifty percent of the capacity, then that's all that can remain in on the premises. Then you can't even put people in other parts of the church and relay the service to them as well, because that's not what the law is saying we can do. Yeah. So yeah. there is not much change, you know, um, be, depending again really on the size of your of your building. Mm. I don't know. I had a trip to the, the traffic department. I had to go renew my license, uh, my driver's license, because, yeah, that's one of the, <laughs> the things that I really can't go without. Um, and I ended up spending an hour in the queue without the queue moving because they were doing learner's license testing um, at that time. And, yeah, it was because the room that they write in here at Kels River is connected to the main building, uh, it's part of the main building. So then the whole capacity that they could allow there was affected. So, yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think like for those sorts of situations, it would have allowed more, um, yeah, more kind of flow through in terms of other transactions that were happening at the time as well. I, I understand a lot of the things look... Um, the president, or at least the government, is trying to do what best they can right now, given the... I I know because it comes before an election, <laughs> the, <laughs> the idea of having uh, bottle stores open would obviously go over well with a lot of people. Um, yes, but... I, I was driving past one today, <laughs> the panorama on our doorstep here, yeah. and um, wondered why this car was making such a... Um, I cross across the road and then I just came over the hill and I saw, oh, so Ponderosa is open yeah, the for business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I like to think that um, this is more a move to get the economy going again, get people going. And I like the idea that we might be getting the vaccine um, mobile or digital certificates up and running, I think from next week is the talk, uh, depending on how the dealings with the UK goes now. Uh, I, I like that. I like that idea. I like the idea of having a choice to get vaccinated, to then participate in society, um, polite society, uh, like go to sports venues and, and all those things. Um, there was a march on the promenade today where the Cape Party leader was saying that it's equate he was equating it to apartheid and it's like apartheid forcefully separated people a vaccine passport as they want to call it as the, the parlance that they decided to use is open to all adults it's not splitting south africa in half it's allowing everybody the choice to get vaccinated and to participate in all the things that that will then allow you to be able to do. Or you can choose to, I don't know, just live in isolation from everybody else. Um, that is the risk that you pose to society. As I said before, being in hospital, the thing that struck me the most was watching doctors and nurses have to put on all the PPE before they came into the room to do what they needed to do to save my life. And that really drove home the fact that I was, as a COVID positive person, a danger to other human beings. 
And yeah, that's that's the one thing that we must always remember. But COVID, <laughs> enough COVID, about COVID. that. Yeah, COVID without the vaccination. There was a, a there is a five year old, five or six year old young man, Jonah, who is very fascinated uh, uh, in God, and the two of us have wonderful conversations around God and Jesus. Because he often equates me, he wanted to know when I came off the cross, because mm. he sees me in that uh, role. <laughs> And Jonah was hospitalized, <laughs> pardon me, because there were symptoms of COVID not smelling and not uh, being yeah. able to taste. And they, they, the, uh, the doctors did three tests on him mm -hmm. because they could not understand that the diagnosis comes up as pneumonia, mm -hmm. but the tasting, the lack of taste and smell, they could not... Um, associate with that because that's not normal association yeah and he's been quite, he's been quite ill so his mom i called his mom and uh you know prayed with him on the phone when he was in hospital and then when he came out and i called last night to just ask how things are going but the night i called when he was in hospital she said to me you know you know reverend how full the hospital is and yeah. i needed to know no more than just that so right now, the tensions are building up because in our Anglican Provincial Synod, the Provincial Synod now made a declaration, made a formal uh, legal measure that it's mandatory for every Anglican, ordained Anglican person to be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. um, and so whether you have an opinion about it or not as an individual, although I did ask the question, when, when, when the government hasn't made it mandatory yet, um, but an organization such as your work or your mm. like a church institution decides to make it mandatory, then does the person's civil right uh, is it is it overtaken by what the organization has done, given that the government has not legislated in that way just yet? And so I was made to understand that um, you're an Anglican priest and therefore you have had to, you got to be vaccinated, mm. whether mm. your civil right is being, um, ch uh, you know, eroded here uh, because you're part of that group you've got to be part of that. So it is a very interesting debate because, you know, civil rights come into a lot of things. Yeah. But, but now the problem is the more vaccinated people are and the, the, the more tension arises around those that refuse to be vaccinated. Um, uh, then it's an, an us and them situation again. And I hope that we're able to, to maintain a a peace and respect and understanding and encouragement. We've got to find a way to not fight it out with each other. Yeah, this uh, because... is true. <laughs> we must we must always maintain the respect for for other human beings. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a it's an interesting situation. I know it's being tested currently at the CCMA. Discovery wanted to enforce a company wide vaccination. Um, situation and then that was taken to the CCMA and I know a lot of companies are waiting for that arbitration to resolve 
so that they can either go forward with, with what they were doing. But uh, your civil right is to choose to remain employed at that place. You can always seek a different job. Um, <laughs> the company is yeah. not there to accommodate you. Uh, you are an employee of the company. And if the company needs to keep its beliefs that to keep its workforce safe, that that is the way they can do. They are a private institution that can do with that power what they will. But let us please move on to the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. We are the last Sunday of the season of creation. The theme is St. Francis Day, hope for our common home. Uh, yeah, if you could please call us together with the collective prayer and I will catch up with you at the liturgy. Thank you very much, Lindsay. My brothers and sisters, I greet you in with these words. The Lord be with you and welcome you to this podcast, which is another way in which we are encouraging participation in worship and reflection and prayer. Um, <clears throat> and I hope again that uh, you may be able to share in this in more ways than one. So we have two colleagues. They are both on your screen. Please pray with me. O Holy Trinity, you are the unity of love. Keep in love those who are born to each other and sustain the love of those who choose one another, that all will flourish in the security you intend through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And then for the fourth, sorry, the last Sunday of the Seasons of Creation, Jesus, you raised the dead to life. Help us to find ways to renew what we have broken, damaged and destroyed in our common home. Give hope to those working for a greener future. For you live and reign in the unity of the blessed Trinity, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, yes, the, uh, yeah. all the prayers and the choice verses from the readings are in the podcast description, so you can check that out there. And please tell your friends about this podcast if you can. <coughs> If you draw any value from it, uh, we always like to share these messages. The first reading, I was going to skip this originally, and then it was just too much. It, it was it, there, there was too much going on there that I wanted to approach. It is from Job chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. There was a man named Job living in the land of Uz who worshipped God and was faithful to him. He was a good man, careful not to do anything evil. When the day came for the heavenly beings to appear before the Lord again, Satan was there among them. The Lord asked him, where have you been? Satan answered, I have been walking here and there, roaming around the earth. And then God is like, did you notice my servant Job? The Lord asked. There is no one on earth as faithful and as good as he is. Um, 
Yeah, and you persuaded me to let you attack him for no reason at all, but Job is still as faithful as ever. Satan replied, a person will give up everything in order to stay alive. But now suppose your hurt is you hurt his body, he will curse you to his face. So the Lord said to Satan, all right, he's in your power, but you are not to kill him. So here you have God, because this is the Old Testament. And God is being boastful about Job's faithfulness. And then full on gambles with Job's faithfulness. What does this tell us about God? And what is the actual lesson here? Hey, that's a great challenge, my brother. <laughs> the first thing I want to say is, whilst this story is a parable of the experience of humanity <coughs> told through the experience of a man and his family <coughs> about how do you juxtapose worshipping God and being faithful to him whilst there is the presence of evil that can and could cause your suffering and why would in the in the run of your life why would this God whom you worship and are seeking to be faithful to allow suffering mm. to overtake you when you get to all the things that you read through through Job, you get to, I think it's chapter 42, where when God is asked by Job, now, what was this really all about? Now, this is where the challenge comes about the understanding of God. God said, well, I created you. And I have my eternal purposes as to why I created you. And through the creation narrative and through the creation experience, um, there are things that I allowed your way. And this is also a problem. The word allowed, God allowed evil, God allowed suffering with mm -hmm. some people mm -hmm. by, by nicely. Um, but, you know, um, how can I put this? And I don't, I don't want to make it as simplistic because it's not simplistic. If creation was to withstand its merits, if the quality of being human is to worship God and to be faithful to him, no matter what challenges come our way, what are storms we may reach, it is, it is, it is, um, a form of molding, shaping. Um, what is it when you when you want to um, you know you 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 put into the fire the gold and the silver, the metal to bring it out and to beat it into shape. Oh, forge. Yeah, forge. Um, because you have in your mind the final product. Hmm. So we all are going to ask the question. Why should suffering be my caution when shouldn't I have a better reward if I'm worshipping and being God and being faithful to God? Why would in this story 
the loss of his family be the very first thing that happens to test this man. The death of his wife and his children. And we know that one of the highest forms of suffering is the death of a loved one. The highest form of depression is caused by the death of loved ones, death of a spouse. So, so death, I mean, and of course, we, we, we are probably more into the talk of death because of COVID-19 than we've ever been mm. when we <coughs> to deaths we've sort of become used to uh, as, as a normal part of life. COVID is not something that was gen necessarily normal, you know, because it just comes and it, swipe, it just took a swipe at the whole universe as it was the whole planet Earth. Was 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 beaten down by it. So so I think, for me, if my value as made by God in God's image is to worship God, made for him, for worshiping and made to be faithful to Him, then when this thing called suffering is placed in my way, is it a way in which those that die are saved from it forever? Those who remain will continue to be forged in its fire. But at the end of the day, all of life is dependent on the creator. However, now we bring into the frame that beautiful, well, beautiful words. We can accuse God of. Now, I'm trying to remember the names of these wonderful words. Um, misogyny is that one of it uh yeah you can why would god <laughs> suffer does god enjoy us to suffer no <clears throat> because that's the battle we have does god put us through this does he allow this in this conversation with the devil he says you know i'm going to give you permission to do this but this guy's so steadfast in faith he's not going to be rattled by it. Mm. <clears throat> so I think um, so, so, somewhere it was written that the book's theme is the eternal problem of unmerited suffering. And it is named after its central character, Job, who, understand, who, who attempts to understand the suffering that engulfs him. So if that's a summary of the book, it, the eternal it, it, suffering is can be it could be unmerited and it's eternal eternal problem um, the eternal problem of, of unmerited suffering. Um, no no quick answers. Mm. It's, it's a continuous journey, as it says here, to attempts to understand what has come my way, why and how am I meant to deal with it, being that I am made to be with a quality to worship God and to be faithful to God, and therefore to re resist all that is evil. How then do I understand suffering? How do I interpret it? Why do is it here? And, and I know I was wrapped up with the knuckles by my spiritual director when I said, you know, God allowed this. God doesn't allow this, he said to me in a, in a very shouting voice. And I thought, well, then how else would you say it? You know, how else would you say it? Um, 
When you go to the Isaiah passages, you hear of the suffering of the servant song, or the servant of God, and he, he had no comeliness, the beautiful word. Um, he wasn't presentable to the rest of us, yet he was wounded for, for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Um, the plight that we had to go through came upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So, the theological question is, is there a presence like Satan allowed to test and tempt those of God had made in his image? Hmm. <laughs> is there a is Satan personified by the name? Is there a thing like evil? Of course we see it. You know, this week the church delivered <clears throat> the verdict about the acclaimed rape case against a priest to another person who became a priest. And they said this man was not the rapist. <coughs> she believed he inflicted the pain. There's no evidence inflicted pain. So the church said he there's no evidence he's the rapist. So therefore he's not the one who inflicted pain onto you in the way you suggest. However, because he, he acknowledged he went to your room to have a conversation with you about a different subject, we are saying that was inappropriate behavior. So we so the legislation says because it's inappropriate behavior there needs to be some action taken to correct that in him and in the rest of us. She brought her suffering and pain to the table, but the church is saying, you must prove it beyond reasonable doubt. You can't just say you suffered if there is no suffering. The issue about GBV, gender-based violence, and you know people who suffer that kind of um, you know the the ills. You've got to prove that you're the victim. And how do you do that? You've got to prove your suffering. This is really a challenging theme we are on, my brother. But I think for me, the comfort I, the comfort I take is here is who attempts to understand the suffering. And is, is that all we can do as those who worship God and are faithful to him? It was Frederick who said, who wrote, um, to love is to suffer and to survive is to find meaning within the suffering. And like I've, I've said it before here as well, where uh, the church does glorify suffering to some degree, where it's almost, it's almost fetishized. <laughs> Um, like even if you go to like broader religious practices like self-mutilation and like all that sort of chastising, um, where it, it 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 gets a little bit crazy. And I think it's stories like this where Satan then goes and brings sores all across Job's body and Job goes to the garbage pile and takes a piece of broken pottery to scrape his sores and his wife is like you are as faithful as ever aren't you why don't you curse God and die and Job answers 
You are talking nonsense. When God sends us something good, we welcome it. How can we complain when he sends us trouble? So my framing of that is always the evil and the curses are consequences of something. So in our modern day, like we're not beset with curses as often as they were back in the day because we understand things from a scientific perspective, <laughs> from a medical perspective. Um, so a lot of the things that get inflicted on people, you know, a lot of the suffering is driven by a mistrust in other people where they are then taken advantage of. Um, and it's a consequence of not being educated, but it's also a consequence of other people who realize where they have some degree of power over somebody else and wield that incorrectly. And there is no God. So like it's upsetting in the story where God is presented as this really prideful sadist. Um, I think sadistic was the word you were looking for. Um, and then he just gambles somebody's faith on him and like single somebody out as being like the most faithful person on the planet. So there's like a lot of things that are at the root of my argument against Christianity or against religion. Uh, but I think it's more the understanding of what happens to you is not can't be explained away by like external forces acting on you in terms of like evil forces. There's, if you remove God and Satan from the equation, you can find a rational explanation for all of suffering. And you might actually realize that you're not really suffering. So how, how would you interpret that to a five months old baby raped by somebody? That is somebody who is misusing his power. Who there's that that is an in there's something wrong with the person. He's not being led by <coughs> an evil power. Like there's something wrong with the person. So his actions is not evil. It's not driven by an external evil force. It's driven by his own chemical I, I imbalances. Ask, I didn't ask what it was. I, what it was driven by, ask, is the action evil? It can be defined as evil, yes. Because it can, we ask then, so where did it come from? We're going to find the source. Why would a person... Because if that person comes and comes before the courts, the <coughs> prosecution will look at every angle as to get that person behind bars because the action that the person did robs the victim and all of that kind of stuff, injured the victim and so on. So the act was evil. Brought before the courts of law, it is seen as evil, therefore imprisonment of some form must happen. And assumedly, imprisonment means rehabilitation, which in fact it doesn't really mean. So in other words, that person driven by, as you say, by, his, by, by, by whatever the power was that forced him to do this, <coughs> so, 
something in the person, according to the justice system, can be corrected. And the person who is the victim, that, that memory of that experience, which is holistic, that person can survive it with necessarily happy if the person wasn't killed. Mm-hmm. The defense is going to look for mitigating circumstances as to why this person should not undergo jail sentence of any kind. Mm -hmm. And what would those mitigating circumstances be? Now, did Job Job suffer evil, sorry, go through the suffering because he did something wrong? Like that five-month-old baby, what did she or he deserve to have that inflicted on them? So here we sit with, how do you speak about this? How do you, I mean, I'm just looking at Nishka's words, to live is to suffer. You, You say, you know, when I preach about marriage, I say, Jesus said, I've told you this. What did I tell you? That the Father loved me, so if I loved you, abide in my love. And then I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be fulfilled. So now I'm saying that is what Jesus wants you to experience. I've not spoken there about (laughs) to live a married life, you're going to suffer. (coughs) How does joy meet the challenges? How does that which you have received as a message to encourage you in this life of marriage, meet the challenges that will be negative. The very people who have been into, have been brought into the marriage, what is in them? Are they, are they true? Because there's a whole package here, you know, all that yeah. I am, I give. What is all of that? But who knows? I may be the one who's going to raise my hands on you later on if, I, if you don't yeah. uh, do what I do. Where does all of that come from and how do we deal with that? I, I just read something here that was quite interesting. It says, suffering is a mystery and job seek comes to respect that mystery. But is it just as simplistically put there when I go back to the five-month-old baby who's raped <coughs> and the perpetrator of such suffering? Why, again, yeah, I'm really challenged by this. When we understand God to be all powerful. And you keep saying God's working around like a boastful guy in this picture, yeah. Uh, all in control. He's mm. able to get Satan on a leash as far as Satan can do whatever damage Satan can do. Um, so what is the theology of God in in Job's in Job's story? That's what we have to find out. And in the and it's interesting because Written from these readings are the is the collect. Mm. And isn't it interesting that if you place this story against the collect, where we God is defined as or celebrated as all holy trinity, who you are the unity of love. Now, the question for me is where in the unity of love is suffering permitted so i think i i think i have an answer for you the assumption that a lot of people make 
is that the default should be joy. Okay. And it's like joy is given to you because, and yeah, yeah, it is, and 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 it actually speaks into like the the second reading as well. Because you are made to believe that you are made in God's image, you think that you are entitled to some level of joy. And what Nietzsche says when he writes those words is that the default is suffering. Living is hard. Um, and you must find your joy. So within the marriage, you find a person you can spend your life with. You find commonality with somebody that you can celebrate. You find your joy. Like you find something that you enjoy doing. You go do it to put food on the table. It's not easy because it's work, but you then find your joy. So like my perspective is always the hardness is what you should expect. And you find your pockets of of joy with within that. And yeah, it, it comes down to like because because this is an old testament reading, their understanding of a godlike figure was very much patriarchal because it fitted that political system, that societal system. And then Jesus comes along and then gives a different model for that, where he is made flesh. And so that like resets the entire timeline. So here it's like, um, so Hebrews chapter one, verses one to four is like, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors many times and in many ways through the prophets. But in, the, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. He's the one through whom God created the universe, the one whom God has chosen to possess all things at the end. And then it like rambles on about like why Jesus fits in and why the angels don't rule us. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's that idea of like when you remove the expectation or the entitlement of joy, then you really start to experience like what it is to be human. Now, when you when you look at um, family life and the baby is raised in con con conceived into that family life, mm -hmm. <coughs> where the baby is showered with attention, presence, love, care, compassion, learning, em empowerment through learning. Um, uh, developed through conversation, uh, empowered to, to speak and so on. Now, all of that, all of that, the child is protected mm -hmm. from any form of, of, of suffering. Um, the child's got hawk eyes on them. Um, and, and, and so when the parent has to now come to the decision at six years old or five years old or three years old, I need to go and work so my child must go into the crash, mm. to the educare. Now we're looking for guarantees <coughs> that this child who's been 
thinking life was all this wonderful, rosy, loving things goes into a context. Because here at home, when their knees hurt and they've got a cough, they cared for, they helped Mm -hmm. and healed. So there's a measure of suffering that is met, met with a solution. Yeah. Tears are wiped dry. Part of life is not crying every day because you are hurting on the inside. Your tears are dried. You move on from that experience. Now you get into a context where control that the parents have cannot even be guaranteed to the child. Life now takes a different turn. There are no guarantees that what was happening at home is going to happen at the school. And and so it goes on and so it goes on. So the question is, has all of this formation in beauty and love and protection and care created an illusion? Because because Nitschke says, you need to tell that little child that you are rearing, listen, all of this is not really the premise of how you ought to live. Live from the premise that love, that life is suffering. Mm-hmm. If you survive daily, your survival then gives you some kind of instinct. So the fact that you're born into this life doesn't mean you're going to live a liquor life. Mm. You're born into a rich family, you're not going to be also having a silver spoon by your mouth all the time. But you're living a life of suffering. Life will be suffering. Suffering will come your way just because you're living. But is that the sound principle? Because if that's your principle, then how do you, if we don't have the premise of joy, how do we meet the joyless? Hmm. So that, uh, I like that you went that route um, with, with that analogy of like raising a child. So our, our programming like is to I was actually bizarrely watching a, a thing with my kids this morning at breakfast where there was a repeated there was a nature show and it was like a repeated thing of like the programming of this thing of the octopus is to care for the young so that the eggs can hatch and then like the octopus mother dies um, and then it was like the crabs and a whole bunch of stuff but the point was like the organisms grow, they mature, they reproduce, and then they kind of shuffle off the mortal plane. So your child is important to you because that contains all of your de- genetic information and that's going to pass it on. That's your immortality right there. So obviously you are going to want to protect that so that it can grow to a point where it can pass on your gifts <laughs> to the world. But when it goes into a school situation, that person, the teacher and the principals in that system is not set up to care for the individual. Like they just need to meet the minimum requirement of like progressing through whatever tests have been put set ahead and like shuffle them off into the workforce. Um, Yeah, so it is an illusion. All of that, that, that cocoon of love and acceptance and everything is an illusion so like i'm of the thought that a lot of what is called bullying nowadays is not really bullying it's every society has a 
set. Every culture has a set of rules or cultural norms, societal norms. That it's like a henpecking thing. You kind of get everyone gets moved back to like the mean. So if you're on the extremes, it's gonna get picked on until you assimilate to because that that's how that's how we survive. That's how you survive in a pack, in a herd, in a in a thingy. And yeah, it it is all an illusion. And finding your truth and your joy should be the motivation. If 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 foundations of life is illusional, then what does foundation mean? If form formation of life is illusional at the beginning parts, then what is formation? <coughs> and if those things are all illusion, you are now sending a person to meet the world where they may meet the suffering, rejection, and they not number one. But I believe that foundational formation cannot be an illusion. It's the preparation to be able to engage that. So from, for me, I like the starting point of Job. And I, I can embrace that. Mm. Made to worship God, called to be faithful to God. For me, that's the foundation of who I am. Um, we also have in Hebrews the question that was raised by the psalmist. What are human beings of God that you should think of them? Mere human beings that you should care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Made them rulers over things. Now, if those are foundational things about what it means to be human, and, and, the, and from the foundational principle, our... Um, we are shaped, we are formed to understand ourselves to be, then when we are challenged by the threat of suffering and death, then our, from our foundations and our formation, we are able to do that. So going back to my bringing into the frame, John 15, where Jesus says, and we use that passage in a marriage context, <coughs> um, um, I'm giving you this word. I'm telling you this, he says, so that my joy may be in you. So in other words, it takes me back to creation when by his word, we were all shaped and formed. Mm. So it's <clears throat> the foundational word that made us. We will encounter the experience and the word of suffering. But all of that foundational stuff should have prepared us to at least begin to meet the challenges of the the what's the name uh, just being part of the wall of remembrance being built at the moment mm. and how i had to see that with anything that you're doing your the 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 the, 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 the forming of your of your for, for formations now the the flood foundations and what one of the guys on site was saying because in our minds now we know that you can build something and if the property is unprotected, thief may come in and break down the structure that's not yet grounded and, and, some, and, 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 and tight. <coughs> so that idea that there is someone out there with an evil plot to break down what you've been building up 
what this guy said was quite in well, quite informative. He said, not that I understand the technical knowledge. He said, when I planted the pole that I was going to need tomorrow to join the fencing on, all the poles I did, I needed to think like a criminal. I needed to be aware that there's suffering, uh, there's a form of suffering out there that's going to make my work redundant. Mm. I have to think out there that there's a plot that somebody watching is going to destroy what I've done. Now, how then do I ensure that when I come back tomorrow, I can continue my work without having to worry about what I did with the foundational stuff? And he said that besides the concrete and all that, he did some other things that reinforced so that there was no way that that criminal, unless they bring a bulldozer or some other thing, could take it out. And I, I, would, I just wondered about that. If foundational and formational work of human life is an illusion, how then do we really prepare to engage when we're in worlds where Guaranteed protection in earlier life is no longer. We've got to stand up for ourselves and be counted. We have to have words and actions and postures that will guarantee we're not going to be bulldozed and yet still be gentle <coughs> and, um, and, 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 and noble in the face of adversity. So when Jesus says, I've told you this. Why did I tell you this? So that my joy may be in you. And the first realization is your joy is complete. Now, why would your joy be complete? Because there's a challenge out there that you're going to have to embrace. You don't have the foundational word that I planted in your hearts and you work on that and see the reason why that is given. How are you going to meet all of that? <coughs> so for for me, unlike Nishka, I start from the premise. I was made to worship God. I was made to be faithful to him. And as I'm formed and fashion and, 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 and that becomes foundational, then I'm able to meet the challenges that they may be. I may ask, Lord, why? Was that song right said many years ago? Why me, Lord? What have I ever done? Although he asked it another in another light. So we do ask those questions. And I think this is what Job, the storyteller, is trying to help us understand. And also how, how, how Hebrews is trying to say now, what, what is Jesus coming doing all of this? Um, given that God, you made us, um, you made man, there was a reason why you made us. So if if this is all foundational and for, formational, and therefore it ought to be transformational. But that way lies irresponsibility. It lies, that way lies entitlement, a sense of entitlement, a sense that because you believe in a specific God, and that you are faithful to that specific God, that you are entitled to a certain level of joy. And then you try and elevate in your thinking. If your thinking is founded in that concept, you are immediately elevating yourself over 
the rest of humanity that don't share the same beliefs that you do. So like my son is six years old. And that's round about the time where they ask very interesting questions. And he hits me with which planet was made first? Just randomly one evening. And I'm like, okay, this is a teachable moment because now we can go through Big Bang, theory of evolution, all of that, we can cover that. And we did, and he was quite fascinated in it. So then, like in the gospel, which is going to mark chapter 10, verses 2 to 16, Jesus <laughs> just breaks down the entire idea of divorce, um, saying that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he's like, if there's divorce, it's adultery and all those other things. And I immediately thought about the lie I would have to tell my child if I had to say, me coming from a divorced family where I don't think there would have been the same level of joy had my parents decided to stay together, had my mother decided to stay with my father and endure everything that was sent her way. I think she chose her own joy by pushing for the divorce, by separating from him, by moving us away out of that kind of situation. She found her joy outside of a marriage. So to love is to suffer. Like that is the default. If you expect it as a default, you can then find other ways to love. And like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to tell my child that, you know, there was like one man and one woman that was made and that. So then you like, you're disregarding all of the complexity of life, all of the beauty that is in the details of everybody being different and having different belief systems and having different, finding different people attractive, finding different love. And the understanding that all of that is valid, all of those sources of joy is valid. It's not just contained in one piece of text or one person's interpretation like the author of Hebrews is <laughs> saying here to the Hebrews. Um, yeah, it, then you, you cast aside all of that beauty and all of that potential joy by just focusing on this little bit of joy that you believe you are entitled to. I don't think I want to limit myself that way. Uh, uh, number one, I think you misunderstood me. Number two, let me take you back to your own story about your mother. Uh-huh. She didn't start a marriage on a joyless note. The desire to be in a joyful relationship with your dad was there. Mm -hmm. As mm -hmm. life progressed, she discovered there were challenges to this joy. That joy, which I said was foundational and formational and transformational, not entitlement. Joy is a gift. 
So when she decided this, going along this passage with this man, in the way we are going, he's going to continue breathing joylessness, not only for me, but for my children. I therefore have to make a decision about this. I made a decision based on that I entered into this relationship on the premise of love and joy. That was the foundational reality that we, or the principle that we stepped into. And based on that, I could see that this particular experience is not leading along to where my own personal joy is going to be taken away, but also my children. But also, if I continue with, with the man that, I, that we can't get on with, um, not because we're bad people, but because things just didn't work out as we perhaps thought it would, and though we tried to work it through, it wasn't making headway. For saving this family, <coughs> divorce then comes as a reality. Um, and so I'm able to continue with my joy without looking at my ex and judging him, because I'm not going to say he's the fault of my joylessness. Being in relationship with each other and working through whatever the challenges were, somehow was not able to build on the foundation of joy we started up. So I'm not I'm not saying that I'm therefore entitled to claim my own joy. My joy is a shared one. There's my children, but there's also the one whom I cannot live with in close close proximity as um, as a, as a person because we all go through changes. We all go through mindset changes. A lot of the stuff we're talking about now is internal. The internal world of the, of the, of the individual human being that is being impacted by the external world. So what has been created within us, what we've been blessed with on the inside, we have to work to respond to what's going on on the outside of us. That's the world. That's the the basis on which I'm able to respond to the world. My thoughts, my feelings, my opinions, my answers, whatever they may be, that's how I'm able to respond to the world. And I can be present to it or I can run away, away from it. I can deal with it or I can turn my back on it and, and deny it. Now, for me, it's therefore important that I see my, my foundations, my formation, also as being and transformational means I can then address the issues not because I want to put the other person in a bad light <coughs> but because and for want of a better word to seek the salvation of everybody when situations have gone wrong come back to South Africa you know um, we had conversations about how when they were discussing it in whatever that boardrooms they were did Mandela sell us out or not? Did Tutu mm. sell us out or not? You know, and we're living now with reality that we know was based on those foundational conversations uh, of our democracy, of our constitutionality. And we may not be pleased with what the outcomes are now, but hey, for five years we were. Mm. Now, that five years was foundational. The picture's not pretty right now, but what keeps us going is looking back to those five years, because those are the five years we prayed for. Those are the foundational, and we cannot make it, and therefore I have a problem 
with entitlement. Because mm. that five years that we had was about sharing. It was what is good for all of us. And of course, everybody has, has the opportunity to seize the moments for them to, to, to learn from, empower themselves, and to grow, but <coughs> with the attitude of the benefit of all. That's not the spirit of entitlement. Whisper of entitlement is greed, taking over and being all about myself. So I want to challenge what you said earlier on, based on the story you told me about your mom. So I certainly believe that, and here it comes, if all of what you say is 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 what is is our starting point in terms of what Nietzsche says, why then do we have this question coming up in Mark in Mark's Gospel about a law and lawful ways to deal with things? <clears throat> is it because we've treated our foundations and our formations as an illusion? And the law now begins to bring a reality back on how we should be doing with dealing with these things. It's because we've gone, we've forgotten where we've come from. That we now need a law to sort us out. This is but one law. There's other other laws, other ways of, of being with things. So, so why am I? Not afraid of our constitution and our and our and our laws, because I know what my foundations are. I, I value that five years. I, I they transform me to think and have a vision of what the collective future could look like. Mm. And I just want to add, because I've been speaking too much today. On my way home. I was listening to the radio and on there the news came. Today <coughs> is the birth date of Mahatma Gandhi. And in the 15th of June, 27, the United Nations General Council resolved that Nash International Day of Nonviolence is observed on the 2nd of October. Nonviolence was Gandhi's principle of how people should be living with each other in opposition to what was happening to his people. And in response to the violence, he needed to find a way. Now, I know there's lots of things that would inform us that Gandhi wasn't the perfect person. Yes. And I have no problem, no problem with that. But what I do, and, and here we go back to, 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 to uh, Hebrews. It is only right, verse 10 says, that God who created and preserved all things should make Jesus perfect through suffering in order to bring many children to share his glory. For Jesus is the one who leads them to salvation. Perfect fit with what Gandhi was trying to do. Year, um, 13 years later, and I must say I'm very saddened by the fact that I only heard of International Day of Nonviolence today for the first time. I bent, I beat my breast in my ignorance. Because though we all advocate for nonviolence on every level, we don't even want revenge to happen because we know that revenge breeds revenge. Um, there was a principle Gandhi started. The world espouses through a resolution, but not through a life lived. 
Gandhi um, attempted this was, well, the public side of him was that we should be living in a non-violent way. How he did that privately, I don't know, but I have heard rumors to the, to the contrary. But isn't that with all of us? So where did the illusion creep in? Whilst we're looking for a community, a society in which all is favored well, we come back to that five-month-year-old and that person who raped that five-month-year-old. And you, your understanding was something's wrong with him. So was something wrong with Gandhi when in his private the privacy may not have practiced nonviolence as a form of community building. So in a sense, it all comes down to, so we've been formed and shaped. But what has gone wrong with us? Why is the So <clears throat> I would not go down the road of saying bullying in the way that you interpret it. As far as I'm concerned, whilst there may be some issues on the internal side of it, I've got to also say there's more to bullying than just saying, well, the bully is a bully because he's been bullied. That's one aspect of it. Isn't there something in us that says, if I have been hurt, I should hurt the one who hurts me if that's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Why do I can seek to hurt somebody that I know I can hurt and it will not hurt me back? So what is within me that makes me make a decision to become a bully and not address bullying by taking the fight back to the bully himself or herself? So something we have to go back to here. Jesus is the one who leads them to salvation. Something went wrong with humanity. If we from a foundational level were made, you crowned them with glory and honor and made them rulers over all things. What went wrong that after creating the world through Jesus, we now needed and continue to need salvation? As I said right at the top, it's, it's an irresponsible use of power. All three of these stories show the underbelly of the purpose of these stories, where it's like God said that that is the most faithful dude and Satan can try and do what he wants, but that dude is never going to speak about me. And that is an irresponsible depiction of what a godlike figure would be if you believe that God is all loving and powerful, like, and now you're still assigning, like, not only <laughs> jealousy, but boastfulness um, and, like, a gambling streak. And then the second thing is kind of setting the hierarchy of how things are, where it's like God and he created Jesus and the whole world was created through Jesus and Jesus was this perfect thing. And I am now... I was with Jesus. I learned directly from him. And now I have some sort of authority to tell you how to live your life. And no, I that's will... not what I that's not what I was saying. <laughs> I haven't been saying that. 
No, but this, this I'm, I'm interpreting the, the way I'm, I'm reading the story. Okay, okay. So that's already setting up that societal structure where power flows from one thing down to other channels, down to other channels, and then to everybody else. So then the Pharisees are testing Jesus, and they're like, yo, but Moses um, made this law that we can divorce. And then Jesus is like, no, but Moses was wrong because y'all were all like messed up and stuff. And this is how it actually is. So in all of this, it's someone wielding some level of power, some idea of authority. And that's where the breakdown comes. It's when you have these ideas of grandeur where you are ordained, apologies, ordained by God. You are a messenger of God. You are, you are born into the monarchy that was, you know, given by God. It's like, no, you didn't get any special gifts. You are a human like everybody else. You are a risen ape. We have scraped and clawed and evolved and conquered the earth to get to where we are today. Like, don't don't pass off things to like, no, this comes from there and, you know, evil comes. No, it's you. It's you. You did it. You must take responsibility for it. That's why, like, the current idea of law, like, stemmed from Roman Dutch law, is the people decide what is good and what is not. And like that gets tested. That's why you have lawyers who study the law and can bring up precedents and try to set new precedents. And there's a judgment on that sort of thing. And that I believe is the best situation where all of us are equal among everybody else. And the moment you start feeling yourself as being special, that's when the problems come. Yeah, but now the question that you've just said about the law, the whole Roman Greco and all the other fancy stuff around law is based on the Ten Commandments. And the premise of the Ten Commandments, why, why do we have law, is to bring this notion and understanding back. That person whom you have now hurt always hurt you. Hmm. You are sister and brother of one another. What has gone wrong in a relationship the law is trying to seek to make right? What is it trying to make life? What's ever happened to the love between you? In, in fact, you, you, should, you, you, you highlighted the very thing that is wrong with us. Jesus' words in chapter 10 of Mark, but he said to them, because of your hardness, of heart. Because that tells us if, if I'm telling myself I'm better than Lindsay mm. or mm. I'm better than the dog that I just kicked now. Mm. <clears throat> what in my foundation and formational upbringing told me that I'm better than anybody else? Is it the language of that form formation? Uh, you know, Jesus said, I told you that you, your joy may be complete collectively, not just some people's joy. And if you are joyful, it can be unsticklic, attractive and encouraging. It doesn't have to be selfish. If it's selfish, then where's the joy? Mm. So I certainly would want to go with the, the fact is a, a very important question. 
you made us for yourself, says God, um, says Saint Augustine, Saint, Saint, Saint um, Augustine. Lord, you made us for yourself. So something went wrong because our hearts are restless until they find their way back to you. So I, 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 I understand the second part of Mishka to try to understand that suffering so that you can get meaning. That's beautiful, he said. I'm just not, I don't believe his starting point. The starting point was a positive starting point. In life, we engage suffering. So how does the starting point, our foundation and our formational help us to, um, to come to the point of surviving suffering? And if suffering led to death, then we need to be, be able to understand that even, or work towards understanding that, although we will never be able to understand the mystery of, of it all. So, so I think that at the bottom of it all, we are both saying, I think from different perspectives, the starting point of our life should never be from a selfish perspective. It mustn't be so I-centered that I'm entitled to a better life. I'm entitled to this and that and that advantage over others. And I don't believe that's what God said. That's the question that the psalmist asked, what are humans? human beings, and he says, you made them. Now, <coughs> now I think we, we agree on that premise, although from different starting points. Mm. I believe the starting point that I made to worship him, called to be faithful to him, and saved by him in order for me to help a world that is broken and has gone wrong. So that for me is my engagement with the world in suffering. I agree with you on that. I I just enjoy a world where we all start from zero and not from 10. Um, I think that grounds us a lot more. And on that, I think I will close off. And if you could please extract a few brief points of reflection from the praise of the church and thank you very much for this very enlivening conversation <laughs> you you are a theologian that believes in creation ex nihilio <laughs> wow dude the, the just the theologian <laughs> is quite the However, contrast I'm a theologian that says, yes, ex nihilio was there, but in the beginning was God. <laughs> <coughs> so we go on to our prayers, and we all know how fantastic a saint, friend, Saint Francis was, giving up all the wealth that's around him, and um, even becoming a brother and a sister to a to a, to a fly and to animals. <coughs> and so normally, traditionally, the church would have gathered all the kind of animals. And I <laughs> wondered, you know, when I was in Fisher, people there loved their dogs and cats to the extreme. And I would have services uh, for them on this day, outside of the services that were normally held. <coughs> I was fascinated because 
it was only the dogs that turned up who could maintain their dignity in a service of worship. But I was concerned about the cats who just would not come. The snakes <laughs> that would not want to be there and neither the birds, but that's St. Francis, he gathered the animals. So we thank you, Lord, for St. Francis, whom we will celebrate on the 4th, patron of ecologists. We bring our requests before you as we are gathered for the church and for the whole world. And for the church, we pray that she may be a beacon of hope throughout the world. Reminding us all our responsibility to care for and protect God's gift, precious gift of creation. We ask your mercy and for you to hear our prayer for the world, our common home. That through God's grace, we may hear its cry for the damage done and be moved to protect it for future generations to enjoy. Hear our prayer, Lord, and have mercy as we pray for all people who are facing droughts, floods, and storms. And specifically, Lord, I want to pray three of our provinces where over hundreds of schools have no proper toilets, where children are faced with that impoverishment, the dignity stripped. And politicians are not taking responsibility. They, will, they, Lord, are faced with enormous challenge of various diseases and illnesses as well. So God, God, grant, Lord, them strength and hope for their future as they work to adapt to the changing of climates. Hear our prayer and have mercy as we pray for our parish and local community, that through the grace of God, we may hear the urgent cry of the earth and of the poor, be empowered, inspired to respond at this crucial time. And then, Lord, we bring before you the cry of the earth and the cry of the poor. <clears throat> so God of goodness, we, we call you creator. You've made our wonderful world out of nothing, but constantly kept it alive. Help us to, fill, to be full of care and grateful for our home received from you as a gift. May we work to keep this, our common home, filled with peace and justice through Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we continue to intercede into a world ravished by COVID-19 and are grateful for the vaccinations and for those who responded to, 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 to take them, we pray for our nation as it now is in level one restrictions. Lord, help us not to rush into this blindly. 
The virus is still with us. And so we pray that you, who are the author of life and the savior of nations, may realize how, that we may realize how humbling COVID has been, impacted us. Let us not forget how sufficient your grace is to assist us. There are still deaths that we mourn, O oh Lord. <clears throat> there are still recoveries that we give thanks for. And here we pray for Reverend Klein of the Methodist Church in hospital with COVID, struggling to breathe and with the issue of diabetes. We pray for his recovery and many others out there. We applaud the compassionate care and are grateful for the vaccines. We plead for continued compliance under this level as we pray for the common good of all. Jesus, whilst we may be worrying that part of the level one is electioneering, we pray that we may not be irresponsible as in our elections, we continue to seek democracy and a constitution that works for the common good of all. Bless those who celebrate their birthdays and wedding anniversaries this week. Continue to pour your love into their lives by your availing presence through Jesus Christ. As you bless Africa, Lord, bless all continents. God, our children, guide our leaders and give us peace for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And so, my sisters and brothers, in conclusion, of this service, but also of the season of creation 21. Let us not forget what we've learned. May we make work of it collectively, the wisdom we were granted. So I pray now that you, may, you and I may go and wel welcome the signs of God's kingdom with the joyous simplicity of children that we may walk boldly in God's strength and not sit with liars and hypocrites. May God rescue us and be gracious to us. May Christ Jesus welcome us as his sisters and brothers. <coughs> and may the Holy Spirit give us courage, time of suffering and strengthening in our integrity. So go in peace with courage to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, Amen. Thanks for joining us and God bless you. Love from me and from my family.